From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fire some freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. What's happening, crew? It is time for another Clover Tack Podcast, powered by Trailblazer Firearms, of course. A little bit uh, more on them here in a few minutes, but we did have them on the podcast yesterday. So if you jump back in your history, well, uh, you can listen to that one, watch that one uh, if you so choose. Today, we have uh, some gentlemen from MTM Case Guard, and you may not recognize the name. I don't know. You've been hiding under a rock probably if you don't recognize that name, but uh, uh, they have all kinds of uh, things in the um plastics industry i guess we could say uh, out there for the uh, for the outdoor the hunting the firearm world just a lot of cool stuff so really excited to talk with them uh, about the company and the products and everything else if you are joining us in the replay world audio or video or remember that you can engage with us down in the comments below so if you've got questions comments concerns whatever drop them down there uh, for those that are live well that is the way to go Uh, Make sure you say hi out there. If you've got questions for our guests moving forward, throw them out there in that live chat. I'll flag those questions and we'll try to work those into the flow of the conversation. Not going to interrupt anybody or anything like that, but we'll try to get questions about the company, the products, that sort of thing uh, taken care of. Uh, What else do we got? We've got uh, the ghost and clover stickers. We got to mention those. And uh, if you're in the audio podcast world there'll be a link down below uh, clovertack.com slash shot 2023 every sticker will get you uh, an entry into a sweepstakes prize package worth over 1600 dollars pretty awesome uh mtm case guard does uh, was generous enough to kick in uh, a rest for that so along with a handgun along with the ammo along with the belt the holster the other things in that prize package uh, going to get that rest from MTM as well, which is really cool. I want to say thank you to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, those at Super Chat, those at Super Thanks, those at shopclovertack.com slash shop. Thank you very much for that. It helps keep things rolling. And want to say that uh, we are, as always, a proud member of the Firearms Radio Network. A lot of cool podcasts over there. Uh, really happy to be a part of that group. So go check that out. Find some more podcasts that you might want to watch and or listen to. Firearmsradio.net. Did I miss anything? I don't think I missed anything. So let's get uh gentleman in here from MTM Case Guard. Uh, how are you guys? Great, great. Good day. It's uh it's good to have you on the show. I, I'll tell you what, let's start this off. Uh, with just a quick introduction, uh, whoever wants to go first can, but just a quick introduction so the folks out there know who we're talking to. You know, I can go first. Uh, I'm Al Miniman. Uh, I've been with the company the longest. I, I started in uh, full-time in 1975 working for uh, my father who had ran the company for, gosh, uh, the 12 years before that or something like that. But um I, I started fresh out of uh, going. I was going to college at the time, but uh, I'm a competitive shooter. I do a little bit of hunting, a little bit of fly fishing, um, uh, and um, I do enjoy uh, helping design products for MDM. I'm Steve Miniman, and I uh, joined the company in '86. So I was about 20 years running when I got there. Um, came out of college and came into uh, designing the new products and just uh, doing a lot of the business pricing and all that type of stuff. I'm industrial technologist by my major and uh, just have enjoyed the ride here at MTM, being part of a family business. We have four other siblings in the in our business. We're wow. a family business with six siblings in the business, and now second gen third generation is coming in and uh, it's quite a unique time in our yeah. history now uh dad i'm assuming dad started the started the company mm-hmm. okay and and when when was that it was a while ago it was 68 <laughs> now nah, well the 
officially business started November 20th of 67. First full year was 68. And his first three products were uh, rifle, the rifle ammo boxes. He, okay. he was a bench rest shooter and he was doing special loads for his ammo, for his uh, re- bench rest shooting. And they, the cardboard boxes started falling apart. And he said, sure. I can build a better box. And that was the beginning of the whole MTM process. But, but he was, he was actually, he owned a tool company along with his brother. Uh, oh, okay. Bob, and, and he did this while they were running this tool company. And uh, they had an injection molding machine, a small one. They did it for, they used that machine for testing, didn't they? Back in the back of the, the old Minco. And they shot the tools off. They were shooting the, the, the parts off of that mold or the machine and all single cavity. It was, <laughs> it was a lot different than it is today. Right. Wow. And so it was uh, you know, a completely separate business, I guess. And then he's seen a need that fit or the need he had and said, I can do it better. And just kind of, it kind of ran from there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now did, did the injection molding part, which is of course what MTM is known for, um, was that something that the original business kind of morphed into? Did did he do that within that business, or did after it started moving along a little bit, did he break it out? How did that work? We hear all the time about people that do are doing things out of their garage, right? Or doing the original, things on the, the side. Ori- yeah, the original company was Minco Tool and Mold, and they were actually making they were making more molds than they were anything else. So right, uh, it's just that with, with with our father. Yeah, he's he's in full plastic injection mold building mode. He, right. he says, I can make a better box than these cardboard ones that are out there. And actually, there was one other guy out there, and we can give them a little bit of credit. It was called Herders. They were a catalog company, which is mm-hmm. defunct right now. If you ever go back in the history books, it was a wonderful catalog, but they actually made a slide top ammo box. Gotcha. Okay. Now, along the way, um, I think it's really interesting that it started with the the ammo boxes because, you know, all too often here on the podcast, we talk to these companies and as a matter of fact, talked to, with um, uh, one just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And it was one of the situations where they didn't even start out with anything in the outdoor, the firearm industry. They were doing something totally different and then kind of moved into that space. So I think it's really interesting that it, it the roots actually are in the the firearm industry that's pretty cool well he our father had a bunch of other inventions before this that oh okay kind of flopped one was a a flag that automatically popped up when the mailman delivered your mail on a rural mailbox which didn't fly but uh, anyway and this is one of the ones that did fly (laughs) yeah he probably has about 25 patents to his name of things over the history yeah yeah yeah, that's that, that's pretty cool. Now, over the years, over the years with the injection molding, and don't expect you guys to give any way any trade secrets or anything like that, of course. But um, have you guys done work for other companies and out and maybe even outside of the firearm industry on a contractual obligation? Yeah, we we have a custom molding division that custom molds things for people in the shooting industry. Uh, we we have a a line of vial uh, medical boxes because bullets and vials you know they're very similar in size so sure uh, we uh they use our boxes for that uh, but we mold for all a lot of different people but it's mainly right. custom versions of our products that they okay. that they buy so right yep. yeah and the, the reason I ask that's pretty that's pretty common in the industry when you're talking about you know injection molding machining uh, businesses like that quite often they do a lot of, of contractual work for other companies and got to keep that under wraps can't necessarily you know divulge that information or anything else but it's uh it's it's good to know so with the uh with the boxes what were the the original boxes that uh, he designed were they for what a specific caliber or just curious about that well it, it, pop was a um uh, a bench press shooter and back then the uh the um it was a uh i was saying it was 22 remington it was um oh wow it, it wasn't like the ppc that we know it's kind of similar to like a 223 but that was a hot caliber in bench press shooting back then they were able to shoot quarter of a minute groups with that with that caliber and right but you know these guys when they when they 
go to a bench press shoot, they go up and they shoot their 10 rounds, five of them being official. They go right back to the bench and load the same round. So that ammo box is getting a lot of activity. So I think dad probably started out with a small rifle and he also had a medium rifle because some of the uh, high power shooters would be shooting medium rifle. And then he, he made a large rifle and that's what he introduced was a, a line, three products that, um, was that the NRA? He did that. Well, yeah, he, he went, he went, went to the NRA uh, show, and that was back when they were. It was held in uh, a uh, the Hilton, one of the Hiltons in Washington D.C. every year. They never moved it; it was always right there. That was where their annual meeting was. Right. And while he was there, he met some uh, reps who came up and said, "You know, this ain't the place to introduce a product to the industry. You're just talking to consumers. You need to go to." You know, back then, it was a National Sporting Good Association show. And right. that was held in Chicago. And uh, that's where how he learned about he, he just kind of learned by making a few little mistakes and actually did pretty well. Sure. Sure. Well, let me get back in here. Now, what was the what was the catalyst from those first few boxes for him? You talk about him going to the NRA. Um, did he start to see more demand by making some of those other those other shows and then start? gradually i mean a no-brainer that he needs more calibers and more different sizes of boxes how did that kind of progress well he he is a he's a rifle shooter mainly so mm -hmm. naturally he built towards rifle in the beginning but then people said hey you know you got to build a, a p5038 like a, a 38 caliber box if, then a 44 40 uh 44 45. 45 yeah so he just went right down the line like that and started building those. He had six cases really quick. And then people said, well, why don't you build a slip top instead of, he was building flip tops. Mm -hmm. And he, he went ahead and uh, made a line of those and it just grew out of that. Let me tell you something. When you come out with anything in this industry and if you come, <laughs> your customers are going to tell you what to build. I you guarantee you. Listen to yeah. Them. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and even even people that aren't your customers, more people I think that aren't your customers like to tell you what to build than are. Mm -hmm. um, I find that's interesting. People that will never ever be a customer of yours forever for whatever reason are very opinionated on what you should be doing. Yeah, uh, I find I find that to be the case a lot. Um, but you guys, I mean, getting into and I want to get into some of the other products and everything, but just real quick for for the size and scope. Do you guys have any idea how many SKUs you have, how many items you have in that in the catalog? We have 330 in our regular catalog and and then our custom lines up well over 500 that we're wow. making for other people and stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, yeah, and it's, our, it's down to MTM. I, when I, since I did most of the selling here at MTM, I don't talk, call us an ammo box manufacturer. We are a shooting sports accessory manufacturer. There you go. That'll mm -hmm. work. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, yeah, because you guys now, at what point did they decide? Well, let me back up to the, to the 300. When you say there's, there's 300 SKUs, is that the individual products or does that also count the multiple variations for caliber as well? It does. It, it does. And it also talks about color too. and colors too. And colors. So, oh, okay. Okay. Some, some of our products have four up to four colors to them. Yeah. Yeah, I I forget that. I like the uh I like the green and the green and black stuff myself. Very popular. That's, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> now, at what point did things start to shift away from the ammo boxes? I'm assuming he has the you know, he's set up, he's he's doing these, he has the injection molding stuff, everything's there. Uh and sounded like he was the type of guy that that uh always was was uh looking for the next thing and the next opportunity and what could he do? So where did it progress from the ammo boxes? Don't, don't you think it was when it was right around clay target, but the clay target thrower was it, wasn't it? Wasn't that the first item that was away from ammo boxes? We did shot shell boxes and I think clay target thrower was the next when 76. Yeah, that yeah. was it. That was an interesting product because that was our, our uncle um, herb who worked for us at the time actually took a chunk of polypropylene and they didn't have CNC machines back then to be able to carve stuff out or weren't able to print stuff. He literally got right. on a mill and milled out a all plastic clay target thrower. And um, it ah. was, it, it, and it, it, I remember when we brought it out, it didn't sell too well at first. And um, because we had, it, it was too inexpensive. So <laughs> dad like doubled the price on it, but even doubling the price from a buck 25 to two fifty, you know, <laughs> back then that was a lot of money though. 
and right. that made it sell better. That's it was interesting. It was a funny, funny thing that we did because our actually wow. our dealers were telling that he says it's too cheap. People think it's too cheap, right? And I guess maybe, yeah, I guess back in the seventies. I mean, that's that's one of the things I was going to ask. Being in injection molding and being into plastics, you guys probably deal with that a lot. That because it's plastic, right? Because it used, used a, a fancy term just a second ago, but um, there's different types of polymers and plastics. I mean, we all know that, even though we don't know the technical stuff behind it. But I think just the perception, right, of the general person out there, the, the general consumer, plastic is not as good as some other materials sometimes, right? Do you guys deal with that? on? And, a, and plastic on is also superior to some other materials too. It True. just depends yes. on how you use it. Yeah. 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 And but how I think it's you designed, can... how the product's designed. But I can see what you're, where you're talking about with the thrower. I can see where, you know, they're like, ah, it's made out of plastic. I can, I can hear people even today complaining about that. Well, I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that we had when we first came out with ammo boxes is we had the flip top and everybody looked at that hinge and said, well, that thing's not going to last. And here we are. We got a hinge. And we say it's going to last a million openings. When we first started going to trade shows, dad made a special machine that opened and closed that that uh, box. Oh, wow. During the, during the whole show, we turned it off at night. Yeah. That darn hinge on that box lasted like six shows before it finally broke. Thank God it wow. broke just before the show opened, so we were able to hide it. But, <laughs> but, um, but we know how to design a plastic hinge, whereas a lot of people don't know how to do that. And it's very simple. We're not going to talk about the secret of doing it, but of course. it's very simple to do. And we got our hinges, our polypropylene hinges, to last a million openings with no problem. Yep. There's a lot That's of people who have boxes from the 70s that still still using right now. Yeah. Um, I actually, I actually have some that are probably from the late seventies, early eighties, not that I purchased, uh, but that, you know, I picked up, you know, used over the years, you know, you pick up things. And, uh, and the reason I say that is I bought a, I bought a bunch of reloading stuff. It's been years ago now, it's probably been a decade at least now. Um, and most of the stuff still had price tags, still had tags on it. A lot of the stuff in this big truckload of stuff I bought. Uh, and most of it was late seventies, early eighties. That was, that was dated. So I'm thinking probably from that era, uh, and looks just as good, works just as well as the, as the new stuff that I've got. So, uh, yeah, I could, I could attest to the, to the hinges holding up. I mean, things aren't quite always, uh, always what it seems. Maggie out there has got a comment to that point. He said, if it's, if it's cheap, people think it will break and be poor quality. And sometimes that's, that's definitely the case. So uh, over the years, I want to jump to just some generalization. Over the years, since you guys have been around so long and have, have done so much, uh, as far as on the industrial side, the manufacturing side of things, what types of challenges have you guys faced over the years? Maybe it be supply issues or tooling issues. Are there any hurdles that you've had to kind of figure out and, and adapt and overcome? Well, in manufacturing, it was kind of <clears throat> interesting is the fact that, you know, we used to draw everything with a pencil and and all this stuff. You know, when I got here, I was on the drawing board. I had a big five foot drawing board. Nice. I started drawing up a lot of different things. I, I, in 86, we brought out this like little small handgun case and we didn't realize it, but we kind of like started that industry of this the single, single, handgun, single handgun, handgun case. Nobody was making right. one. Time. They all had gun rugs. Yeah, so that one was made right. on that, and and then had to had to uh, bring in CAD and just go through the whole system of of designing things and what how we do it today is so totally different than way the, back the then. machinery for molding has totally changed since then too. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, back then everything was super hydraulic, and when you walk through the plant, you practically had to have earmuffs on. Today the machinery is all quiet. A lot of it's electric. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's different. It's different than what. And, and then we also back then a lot of our stuff was single cavity, and we now make them often much more than that. So mm -hmm. now when you're when you're doing the injection molding, and this is probably just an injection molding question in general, I guess, and it, maybe it depends on the the equipment as well. But you've got your, let's say that you've got this slip on. Uh, case the two piece that has the cover that slip on that's pretty fairly simple design i think um 
once that thing comes out of the injection molding machine, what type of process does it have to go through or does it after that? Is it ready to go or is there more things that have to be done along the way? It, it all depends. If, if some of the molds are older, you, you might have to trim them up and uh, make them look a little better. Uh, but most of the time we just slap a UPC sticker on them and um, <laughs> if it's a slip top, we have to make a, put a little piece of tape on it so they don't slip open during shipping. Mm-hmm. But now they go right into the box. Yeah. Um, it's all manual to do all that. And uh, right. we, we try to do that with all parts. Now we're just talking about ammo boxes there right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We make, uh, well, like the clay target throwers, but we also make shooting rests. We make uh, maintenance centers. Uh, we make target stands. Some of those require a little bit of assembly, throwing rivets in them and, and things like that. But right. the, the goal is when the big part comes off, say like on the shooting rest, when the big piece comes off, We've got the sub assemblies to throw in the box with it. And as soon as it comes off, it goes into the container, the shipping container, and it's we say goodbye. You got to do that because we're competing against uh, foreign entities now. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But it sounds like it, you guys, it, if the if the machinery is working within spec and tolerances and everything's fine, there's really not a lot to do after the fact. It's, it's kind of what I'm hearing you guys say. Is that right? Everything yeah. when you build injection molding you're building 75% of the cost into it by the way you build the product and the mold. So yes, we, 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 the money's spent up front and that's why our molds are very expensive. And, um, but we got to sell a lot of the stuff. We got to sell a lot. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, at the, at the price, if you're talking about the retail price point, that's something that's that's crazy. I mean, the box, the ammo boxes you're talking about. I mean, retail price is, you know, a couple of bucks, a few bucks. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of, you know, machining equipment and other stuff, it takes a lot of two or $3 boxes to, to pay for that stuff for sure. <laughs> and it'd probably going. be a lot higher if we didn't find certain efficiencies in, in running our, our, our products. So the uh, plastic uh, through the years has stayed rather stable, but these past few years, oh, sure. it's, it, it's gone crazy. And, and you're all, you, you, you got to keep your, your product within a price range that the consumer can afford. And, and sometimes that sac- you have to sacrifice a little bit of profit to do it, but hopefully you can make it up through volume. Right. Uh, gonna take uh, gonna take a quick pause here. We'll come back talk about more of the products, the companies. If you've got questions out there uh, in the live chat, throw them out there. I'll flag them. We'll get to them. But want to mention our uh, friends from Trailblazer Firearms real quick. And again, they were on the uh, podcast yesterday, so check that out if you really want to know more. But they're doing a lot of innovative, cool stuff. They're in North Carolina, American-made company. Uh, And I think they said yesterday, all of the parts for that little life card, uh, single-shot 22, credit card size, seven ounces, half-inch thick, really cool little single-shot 22 that they're they're putting out. A lot of innovation in that thing. Um, But I believe they said there was one or two parts or maybe four parts. I can't remember. <laughs> Not very many um, that they don't produce in house in that thing. So that's very cool, especially when we were talking earlier about things that are, that are made overseas. Uh, so go check out the life card, the pivot, which is their nine millimeter carbine in limited supply, but it is shipping. You can go check that out too. Trailblazer firearms. And if you do decide that you want to pick up one of those uh, Trailblazer life cards, well, you could save 10% with uh code clover tag so let's get back into the the conversation here so um over the years i mean you're talking about you know the difference in how the technology has changed and moved forward uh has that been something even from dad i mean he would see that hey we need to change the way we do this or that it'll be better it'll be more efficient has it always been part of the company to kind of roll with the times Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, that that's just part of trying to keep a, a family business going, um, that you just got to keep improving everywhere you can, and you work hard, it pays off, you know? Yeah, but, right. you, but, I, but I will tell you, when it gets down to MTM's growth, yeah, technology is an important part, but coming out with new products every single year and having a staff here at the company that 
that are put trigger pullers and can figure out what the customer wants. Not only we listen to our customers, but we also do a lot of innovation on our own. We stick our necks out on new products that you know that aren't on the market yet, and that that is a very important part of uh, growth or keep staying in business, really. Well, and I think the I think the best businesses are that way, right? I mean, it. it, it I was just having a conversation the other day uh, with how. You know, you've got you've got really big companies, and I don't, I don't want to mention any names. We've got really big companies that they've got great people working for them, great people that work on the you know the manufacturing floor or whatever, great people that are in sales, that are in marketing and that sort of things. And then you have this disconnect with all the executives up here that all they're doing is paying attention to the bottom line. They're looking at the numbers. That's what they're doing. Uh, and then you have businesses, and it sounds more like. The, you know the way you've got being a family business with MTM, where you guys are outdoorsmen, you're shooters, you're you're pulling triggers, you you enjoy the industry, you've got your finger on the pulse because you're inside the community, right? You know what's going on, um, and that just makes makes it for a whole different dynamic when, you know, you have a company that's that's trying to to create good products, which is what you guys are doing. And you got to be able to stick your neck out. I, I'm a big believer in that. Sometimes. The family gets a little upset with some of the products, the ideas that I come out with, but <laughs> right. because because right. my stuff can be off the wall sometimes. But or, or they may be twenty years too soon or something. But you know, well, yeah, but, you're ahead of, ahead of your time. That happens. You yeah. know, let's let's dive into that. Is, is there a product that is in the catalog that you thought, or or somebody said this is not going to work? This is not going to work. Nobody's going to like this. Nobody's going to care about this. And then it turned out to be pretty decent. No, oh, well, gee, I, one of the first ones was the uh, we did the sportsman's dry box, yeah, and yeah. okay, it was it, it got fought in the family big time, yeah, and uh, we we designed it up, brought now it. Now, what was the what was the it, it was basically what was the fault with it? It was well, it was the first ammo can, but we didn't call it an ammo can. Okay, okay. so it was okay. it was a dry box, sportsman's dry box. Put anything you want in it. And um, it it got fought, but within three years it was in our top five products. And it was right. funny how it went along. And and you just, so these you got these products that come out like that. And you just, <laughs> right. the bulk container, yeah, was yeah. probably one. Now, what was the what was the faults? I mean, what were the arguments against it? What were they? Too they much money. These molds oh, really? are expensive. These molds are not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Too much. Fun. Okay. We got a big one coming out next year that uh, some people are scratching their heads about. But you know, uh -huh. when it gets out there, we'll see if it's a lot of times we're just slinging mud, you know, and see right. what sticks. But right. uh, and another thing, issue that we we kind of have is um, when we've got a product and we make an improvement on it, and they're going to say, "Well, that's just going to take away from the sales from the other." And my attitude, and, and some of our, our attitude, basically, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say mine. It is that, you know, we'd rather take our business away from us than have someone else take it away from us. Right. Yeah. If somebody else comes out with a better mousetrap, you're in trouble. You know? Yeah. And, and that happens. Yeah. It happens. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, you, know, you talk about the molds. Um, and again, I don't want to give you uh, give away any any secrets, but you know we've we've hit on that a couple times with the with the cost involved. Generally speaking, with injection molding, what is the price range? Where do those molds kind of start at, and how how high can they go up to? These are sixty grand and can go to half a million. Oh, wow, wow, wow! Yeah. And do they have a lifespan? That's the other question, I guess. They do. If you build them right, they'll last you know million plus shots. So, and, and more than that, and you can refurbish them and stuff like that, but it's, right. you know, until you get them a dollar sold, you get them sold, you don't really know where, where it's going to come in at, but right. you know, you get a feel for this. I, I've been doing it for 37 years. Um, he's been doing longer. I, you know, I came in as the new product guy from pretty much 86 to just 2019, as far as the uh designing the products and then we all talked about how we were going to build them and what they were going to be the concepts right. come and, from, and from all different places yeah as a matter of fact we got a third generation coming in right now helping or doing the design yep okay. 2019 he came in so that's great wow so yep. what what kind of 
what kind of uh, what's that like? I mean, having you've got you've got generational going on there, and so you talk about third generation now coming in. Uh, and again, I don't want I don't want to I don't want you guys to give away any secrets, but I, I'm, I'm curious what that dynamic is like. How is the third generation's thinking different from the the way you guys think? And how does that? I guess how does that complement the company? I like I think I kind of say it's kind of like they're, they're like a train that just wants to get going, you know. And, <laughs> and we're kind of like, well, you know, we've, we've got all these years of of uh, history and and knowledge in this stuff, so we it's but they've got great ideas and they're going to do a much better job than we did. I, I think. Yeah, I, like I always said, this is a joke. I've told a lot of my friends, I go, I wish my old man would have let me run the company when I knew everything. <laughs> As I got older, I got dumber than a bucket of chicken, right? but, but no, I, these, the, the younger generation that's coming in, of course they're educated. They're, they're better educated than the generation before them for us. And I think they're going to do a great job. Right. Yeah, and probably the way technology, you know, has played a role in what you guys do. Because I gotta, I gotta think that the way technology, I mean, the 3D printers, for example, or something that you know, when you guys started that, that, and I know that's we're talking injection molding, not 3D printing, but you know, just that technology of working with plastics and polymers and things like that. Um, when you guys started, the whole idea of a polymer handgun, right? I mean, just think yeah. about that. Of a plastic handgun was. Nobody was thinking about that in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. A few companies were dabbling in stuff, sure. Yep. But nobody would ever probably have thought that 90%, 80%, I don't even how much know how much it is nowadays. So the handguns in the cases at the gun shops are all made out of out of a plastic or a polymer. They're all well, injection molded or something. A, like the frames are polymer. Most of your right. are. Correct. Uh, yeah. 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 But, yeah. Um, well, you know, and, and, even us today and a lot of what we're designing, we're learning new kind of things. We're making stuff that they didn't make out of plastic a long time ago. And because a new polymer may have come out or the way a thing is designed and, and you design it right, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of things out there that we see and you can look at it right away. That thing's fragile, but we can look at another thing. You go, look how they design these ribs in here. This, structurally, this is much stronger than it looks, but right. uh, that, that, that technology is changing constantly and, and we've tried to stay up with it with our design concepts i gotta admit i mean we you've emulated a lot of you, you see designs other people making stuff and you go if we incorporate that into our product line no right yeah, yeah. And, I, and i've got to think there's some there's some research that goes into that too from the the patent side of things you talk about you know mm -hmm. people people getting ideas uh, has that been a big issue for you guys over the years or, or have you found that the, the patent stuff holds up pretty well? Well, patents work good in certain simple, you know, situations, but you know, you can only have so many patents on boxes. So we've right. got to run out on, can't get that many patents and most patents have, have run out, but patents have been really good for MTM. Um, I probably have 12 or so patents wow. that I've got in my lifetime and it's, uh, at different points, it's been real important, but um, it all depends on what you're making, you know, mm -hmm. and you got to have the, <laughs> there's sometimes you get a patent and it, it doesn't pay it off at all, whereas well, other times it sure. works. Good. One of the best things for protecting your product line in the firearms industry, if you're, well, let's get back to ammo boxes. Of course, that's what we're known for. Sure. You come out with the right product the first time. OK, you, right. if you're going to make a small rifle ammo box, it's got to fit these different calibers. you got to consider what shooters are shooting them because some people like to seat their bullets low. Some people like to seat them high. you got to make sure that it, it it's in that category. That's what what uh, what people want. And and since you can't patent the darn thing, come out with the right one to begin with. We found people who have copied us. Um, uh, some of them, they just like they make a box but they didn't consider all these other factors. And then the right. customers go out and buy their box because it's cheaper. Then they come back to us because their ammo won't fit. So right. it's uh, it, it, you got to come out with the right product the first time and you got to do your research on, on what, you know, what you're going to put in it. Right. Yeah. Uh, totally. So where's, uh, let's see, you got questions out there in the uh, live chat, definitely throw them out there. Um, 
yeah, I think there's something to be said when you're talking about patent when you when and that sort of thing. And I think you guys fit that fit that category. I think you've got a lot of security with your designs and your products just because of how well known you are in the community at this point, right? You guys have have built the business up, it's grown, you're an established name, and I think that's super important. Um fifty five you know, years. Get that. <laughs> so, you know, are there similar stuff that's you know, made overseas and, and whatever. I mean, that's that way with any product. But, um, and I think that another saving grace with you guys too is that you, know, you were talking about your price points. Your price points on catalog wide, from what I see, uh, are, there's nothing in your catalog that's exorbitantly priced. And mm -hmm. so if you've got a reasonably priced product, um, from an established company, which you guys are, that why would anybody even bother taking a shot at some you know, Chinese knockoff stuff, right? When I can we get the real, the real deal. <laughs> we realize that. I mean, we've sat there and said, you know, we could sit there and sell this for like double the price. They'll still <laughs> buy it. Okay. Right. The customer will buy it. But then Joe Bubba down the road, who's a manufacturer, he's going to sit there and say, well, I'm going to do that too. But, you know, if you keep it at a reasonable price, and and uh, they they'll they'll sit there and they'll hesitate or they'll wait to see the sales figures in in three or four years you know right yeah you don't want to price yourself out of the market that's the worst thing you can do. yeah and I, like i said i think you guys are, are competitive you're, you're more than competitive i would agree that you're probably a little bit cheaper uh than you should be on some things but again i think that's a protection factor too i think it's good to be that way because mm -hmm. You know, if I've got a choice of, hey, I can buy MTM, I know the company, I trust the company, it's been around for years, for 50 cents a buck more than the Chinese knockoff, well, I'm going with you guys. I'm not yeah. I'm not buying the knockoff junk. One of the things, too, is, you know, we really pride ourselves in being American-made. I mean, we, we bought, you know, we buy molds here. Uh, our number one supplier of injection molding machines is Cincinnati Millicron, which is you know, 40 miles away. Um, we're just an American made company. 99% of our products are American made. We, we have some three or four products that we, you know, bring in, but we're, we're American made, but we just got rid of a, of a Chinese product. That, well, uh, we did. Yeah. Yes. That, that, and it just, so we actually lowered our uh, exposure to uh, imports. Now, what was the reasoning for, for doing that? Or, or can you even talk about that? it's got multiple reasons, but we just, um, you know, you bring out a product, it has a life cycle, then you get rid of it. So right. Yeah. It's got a, what we're talking about. It's yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't working for you anymore is what you're saying. Basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's get to a couple things out here. Uh, Ron Wayne, for example, uh, got a couple of questions, but we'll hit these, uh, first Ron says, uh, love your cartridge boxes for reloading. Uh, been using them for years. Uh, I would uh, thank you. I would agree. I would thank agree you. with that, Ron. I do too. Um, now, Millsorp Duo uh, is saying, uh, "Do you guys do any any custom sized ammo boxes?" No. <laughs> uh, and that gets into the cost, right? Of the yeah, yeah. The reason for that is Steve told you. He's what's the cost of a mold? Sixty thousand to half a million half a million and right. when you're you're sitting there and you come up with a custom box it really becomes a pain in the can i thought possibly i don't know i, I haven't talked much about this but maybe coming out with some kind of a generic box with uh -huh. some kind of a a, a a blank in the middle where uh, somebody could uh, drill their own Shh. holes yeah. to the right <laughs> side but other than that i i just don't i don't see and that right there is i don't know if that's practical even then but uh that's it's, a, it's a, that's an interesting, like an adjustable box of some yeah. sort or something. But that's, you know yeah. what? A lot of times when you come out with something like that, it just doesn't fly. We've got to make that mold pay for itself. Yeah. Yeah. We had an well, early lesson in, in building a box custom to one. It was called our 22 horn because 22 horn got real popular in the late seventies. And yeah. so yeah, we brought yeah. that out and, and we still have it, but cause we don't, get rid of things that's one of yeah. our problems yeah but um that thing it, never it, paid for itself. it never paid for itself <laughs> God, so right. it's just one of those situations yeah we'd never make an ammo box for one caliber no not right <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i assume if milserp duo uh is out there thanks for the question uh by the way 
that. But you know, if he's if he's got a, if you got a million dollars, you want to donate to the tooling, you you could probably call them up. They they might work with you on a custom something without a doubt for, yeah. for that kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> if there's enough zeros on the check, is what I was saying. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about uh, you talk about the you know you're doing the the twenty two uh, the twenty two Hornet box. Mm-hmm. So when how do I want to phrase this? I guess um, when you're manufacturing these things, a lot of companies do it in batches, right? Certain time of the year, they'll make so many of this and then they switch their tooling over. Um, are you guys on some type of a cycle with that? Again, I don't want to give away trade secrets or get, get too personal with it, but do you guys cycle what you're manufacturing out on a, on a schedule like that? Or is it all things all time? How does that work? Like any other injection molding company. I mean, just you, you figure out what your sales are going to be for the years and then you do your optimum runs for on them. Gotcha. Um, you, 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 you know, in today's world, you don't want to hang on to inventory and in your, your um, warehouse too much because it, it just costs you money, but you, mm-hmm. you just figure it out and you, you run them in, in, in uh, you run them in batches. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, and it being plastics too, you've got, you know, almost indefinite shelf life, right? So yeah. once you get a run made and you get them in a warehouse, like if they're a slow seller, right? It's not going to matter. You, if, even if you sell those over the course of a few years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not like quality diminishes or anything like that. If they're, if they're well kept anyway. You got to have, you got to maintain inventory turns or you're, you're just costing way too much money. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's every industry. I mean, yeah. We're all that way. Your grocery store is that way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, any idea how many how much how many ammo boxes you guys crank out on a daily basis? Uh, no, really, don't have that number. <laughs> a lot, I'm guessing. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we got a lot of different. We got you. We have a lot of different products, as you know. Yeah, so. injection molding works pretty quick, though, right? I mean, it's, it does. Yeah, yeah. You, you you try to make them run as fast as you can. Some yeah. of them just don't want to run fast, and you just can't. But and you try to make them run as fast as you can. Right. Like any right. industry. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, Mill Slurp Duo out there uh, elaborating on this. He says, the reason I asked about the custom is because uh, I've got a lot of uh, old obsolete military cartridges, mm-hmm. and most of the common size cases don't work. So um, not a lot of people have. Well, we Steve came up with a, a chart. Yeah. yeah. The, we all, our ammo chart. You know, you should be able to find a home for any case out there. I mean, our rifle case line has basically seven sizes these days. So, yeah, you, you'd be hard to find them one that won't fit in there. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people that want that custom fit. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to put a piece of foam in the lid to cut down right. rattle or something like that. Uh, because, I mean, how many published rounds are there? There's like 25,000 published. Uh, oh, there's a lot. Not yeah. not counting all the wildcats, and, and, right? And, yeah. and, you know, you just can't do that out of plot. You can't do it out of wood. Um, <laughs> so uh, so what you the best thing to do is try to find a cartridge box that it's close to the size you need. And if there's rattle in it, put some foam in the top. Sometimes it, you don't need to do that at all. You're, there'll always be a little bit of rattle. Now, when you mentioned the size chart, is that is that something available for folks on the website? Yep, it's got our ammo box chart. We have okay. them for shotgun, rifle, and pistol. Okay, so, so that's something that Millsurp do. You may want to check out over there. Mortar, well, you know, the reason I ask is is that you know, obviously, you guys, your your products are in a lot of different locations, right? Not just big box stores and that, but, you know, online locations and stuff as well. And sometimes the descriptions in those places are not the greatest. So I think you're right. There may be a box that works for what uh, Millsurp Duo out there needs. It's just wherever he's looking there, they don't got a really good description. So yeah, go, um, to, go to mtmcasecard.com. Right. We, we've got every box lined. We've got every caliber it fits in them. We have, we have the charts. There's no, can't beat it. MTMCaseGuard.com. We try to right. offer them to the retailers also, but the biggest problem is, is they kind of get torn up in the stores. So, I mean, the best place is to go to go to the um, uh, our our website. Right. Um, 
And I will have a link if you're out there in the audio world listening or you know whether you're live. If you're live, I think there is a link below in the description. So you can get to that uh, pretty darn quick. Got a few more questions out here. Let me star these. Keep the questions coming. Uh, we enjoy them. And so uh, we've got, we were talking about this a little bit before we went on air, but Smeggy out there said, uh, do you guys reload? Uh, and if you do, what do you reload the most of? So that's a, that's a interesting I I could answer the first question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when it gets down to, uh, I like to shoot uh, modern bench NBRSA stuff. And so I, I, I load a lot of uh, six PPC, but I only shoot a couple matches that year. I've actually, I used to shoot pistol silhouette. I used to shoot high power, uh, enjoyed both of those uh, sports immensely. And then I shot Ipsic for a long time. I loaded a bunch of handgun ammo, mm -hmm. but uh, then I got into baby jail and baby jail is when your kids are all into soccer and sports and stuff. So I had to get yeah. out. Of shooting. When I got back in though, I got back into a game called civil war skirmish oh. and that is competitive shooting with civil war guns. So I mostly load, uh, civil war cartridges now than, more than that. Wow. Okay. So which war is a lot cartridges. of cartridges, but I have an experience with all, a lot of other cartridges. Yeah. I imagine so over the years. I'm myself. I I dabbled into my dad has seven millimeter mag rifle that he he took all nice. over Africa and it's now my prized hunting rifle. So I've reloaded seven millimeter mag, but mainly I'm a uh, trap shooter. I I load oh, okay. almost. I think I loaded twenty thousand rounds last year and shot almost wow. all. So yeah, I enjoy that, um, and uh, I also like to bow hunt uh so my stuff like that in fact i just shot a, a buck two days ago in ohio here um with a bow so it's kind of crossbow i should say but right yeah we get out we do we do what we do and that's part of the reason why we've been successful yeah right. and, and you know one of the things i really enjoy about reloading is the idiosyncrasies of the different calibers uh when i when i took up civil war skirmish shooting we had to shoot uh, the henry and the uh, the caliber that we shoot in that's 4440 because we can't get the original uh, rimfire cartridges that was in that gun mm -hmm. and boy what a learning curve with that thin wall case uh real pain in the can went through three different die sets from different companies and that but that is the fun Ouch. part about reloading yeah and then finding out the right lube and all that other uh, stuff that's involved with it it's, it's a thinker's right. hobby yeah I, yeah, you could you could get. I've got you know. I, I over the years I've had a lot of folks that that's talked to me about reloading and stuff, and it's like, you know, you don't have to get crazy with it. You don't have to just let it run your run your life and take up every hour of every day. But you can, you can get mm -hmm. that that insane with it if you really want to. What I call nerding out. If you really want to nerd out on it, mm -hmm. uh, you can certainly do it with reloading for sure. To, to kind of like a little funny part about that is is. I have 80 different loads for a shotgun for my trap shooting. That's too many. That's uh, somebody who reloads for a shotgun. 80 is just over the top. <laughs> I know, but I get it from dad. You know, I mean, he, he in 1980s, in the early 1980s, our dad put a 100-yard tunnel in the backyard so he could shoot at night because he was working oh, nice. so much at work. And nice. it, yeah, he had a 100-yard tunnel, and it was... Okay, so... How did he dig this tunnel? Like, I, I got to know what, what it was a 30 inch drain pipe. Okay. Okay. He into the side of the hill. He had a, we had a slightly sloping hill. Okay. It just cover over the top of it. Basically put a cover on it. And at the end, he had a place where he would slide the targets up and down <laughs> and he could be shooting nice. all anytime he wanted. And nobody would complain or hear because it, it, it made the most unique sound that it Tunk. was. Yeah, it was yeah. just yeah. it wasn't loud. Right. But but right. there's more to that story too, though. Dad was a good friend of Joyce Hornady, who he had met at the different trade shows. Right. And Joyce had had just built one of these things behind his plant in Grand Island, Nebraska. So mm -hmm. dad decides to do it. And and uh but Joyce gave him a what was his one piece of advice. He says, Where you put the gun into the darn tube, he says, put a big expansion chamber. Expansion yeah, an expansion chamber. chamber because he says if you don't. If you're wearing a hat, it'll blow it completely off your head. And, and, <laughs> right. But it worked. It worked. Yeah. It worked well. And, and and the one thing that Dad also learned is is don't become a bench queen. Once you get a good round in that that uh, in the tunnel and it's shooting perfect, 
get out of there. Don't shoot it in the tunnel anymore. Because all you do is shoot perfect groups. You got to shoot conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is exactly. something that helped me in my competitive life. I, I'm not a bench queen. We try, I try to do everything offhand or if it's an offhand sport, don't, don't right. go to the bench. Yeah. Uh, Chris with a 740 out there. He says uh, that he stores all of his reloads in the MTM cases uh, has a, uh, he says uh, their cases. He says I have hundreds, so he's he's uh, getting up there. Thank you, uh, great, Thank great you. product. So so get, get some love up there. Um, so G Web's out there. Uh, he says, uh, is there a, a favorite color in general? So when we're talking about the uh, the ammo boxes, personal or uh, what sells? Uh, both. Why not? Well, I mean, personally, me, I, I, I like green. I, I like what yeah. you like. <laughs> yeah, the green. Yeah. yeah. I've always liked clear blue, personally. Um, if if I'm not going green, I'm going blue. So I'll give you that. <laughs> clear green is my favorite. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The clear, yeah, the translucent, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, the blue, which color was first? Or was there an actual first color? Blue? Well, green was... As well, far as the solid colors, green was the only one we had in the beginning. It was okay. a colored green. Yeah. And then the and then the translucent or the clear that. Yeah. So that and then we went clear blue. Yeah. Clear we blue experimented around with a whole bunch of colors over the years. And we'd bring them in and out because customers were always asking for them. And it, right. it's funny. Some colors really sold like the solid blue. That sold really well for a long, long time. Red always sells well. And mm-hmm. then um, and then the clear colors came in and. Um, and the customers actually they they got their preferences on those too. We try to offer them in a bunch of different colors because these people like they take it they only load like forty five ACP, but they got uh, their uh, you know their high expansion bullets in one. They got their ball nose bullets in another. Yeah, and, sure. You know, and then whatever or this for that gun, and they just they know to grab that box. It, it, believe me, I think it, it, most of these customers would love to have 20 colors from us, but it's just not <laughs> right. possible. No, can't yeah. work through that. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's with anything. We we hear that a lot. People are, you know, whether you're talking handguns or holsters or whatever you're talking about it, everybody wants their, their own little certain color or, or style. And it's like you don't realize these companies, they can't. They can't afford to do that. They can't afford to have we too We try many. to encourage labeling, different la- types of labeling or how they market or something like that. Right, right. And G-Web's out there. Uh, was agree there. He says, uh, uh, let's see, we use, he said, where's it at? There it is. Found it. He says, I like the clear blue too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see the clear blue being a being a popular one um the gus out there has got a, an interesting question here a couple of questions probably from the industry side he says what's your favorite part of being in the firearms industry and what's your least favorite people's favorite without a doubt the yeah. relationships we have with all our customers and stuff like that and friends in the industry that's the best part of the shooting industry without a doubt. It really is. Yeah. It, 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 being in the firearms industry, especially being a family company and somebody that when somebody comes into your booth, they see the same people every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're really good friends with the Hodgden family, which they make powder. We're the Hornady right. family, the, which they, they make ammunition. Um, the people at Traditions Firearms, which is owned by a, a friend of ours. And, and we, he's got a bunch of friends, too, that and. and we see these guys in the factories and, and, and uh, we, we bounce ideas off of each other sometimes, especially if we're not competing with them. Um, and then the retailers, I mean, some of our retailers, the, the bigger ones around the country that we see it more often at the trade shows. I mean, when they walk in the booth, it's like an old friendship time. Even our international customers are that way. It's just, they come in and they go, how you doing? And we, we, we actually talk about a lot of other things before we even talk about business, but that's the enjoyable part about the gun industry because some of our competitors are our friends, not our best friends, but they're our friends. Right. <clears throat> Worst part. I think is the roller coaster the shooting industry goes through. Oh, 
Right. <laughs> we go yeah. up and we go down. We go up and we go down. But and it does. It, and it's always been that way. It's yeah. It's, it, yeah and it always had. And uh, and the the arch we do archery too, and it's the same uh, way. Black powder. My God, I don't know how many times I've seen black powder just roll all over the place. Come and go. It gets yeah. down to sales, and it, a lot of that's the, yeah. a lot of that is keyed around major uh, achieve or what do you call it technological achievements right. and those those two uh, guns, but or, and archery. But um, the, even the firearms right now, right now the firearms industry is going through a dip. It's weird. Yeah, it's definitely weird. Um, and that, that's what I was going to say. It's it's interesting. I'm a, I'm a lifelong firearm owner, outdoorsman, you know, all that all that jazz. But we've got tons of people that in the last couple of years have found it as, you know, the hobby or whether it was for self-defense or whatever, you know, uh, they decided they were going to, you know, purchase their first firearm and, and start getting into it. And so for new people that may have only been around in the community for a few years or, or maybe even a decade, a lot of times they don't understand that cycle and that dip. And so it, it freaks them out a little bit. They're like, oh, something's going on. It's called crazy. Yeah. And it's like, well, 20 years ago, the same thing happened. <laughs> we know? were talking about this just last week when we were at Kansas City at the NASGW at National Shoot, uh, Sporting Goods Association show or wholesaler show, excuse me. And there are firearms manufacturers and well, actually, any manufacturer that are in this industry that have only been doing it for, what, seven, eight years? Mm -hmm. And they've never seen a, a, a slow time. We've, I mean, but through the Obama years, we had a slump during the Trump years. But, sure. I mean, it was still good. But we're getting a slump right now that uh, you're going to see a lot of guys probably get out because they just, mm -hmm. they think it's, it's, it's got to be the end to it. But they've never seen a bad time. And right. we, and I've been doing it now for, I'm 66 years old. I've been doing it since I was 21. Uh, I've seen dips and up. It, it doesn't scare me as much as it does a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And, and you guys too, again, it gets back into, you guys have really carved your, your name into that into the niche of what you do and as far as the industry and you've got that name recognition and you you've uh you've been there a long time so you know all of those play a factor too that you guys know how to navigate those those dips and you can right i don't want to necessarily say as a large company because you're a family-owned company but as far as brand recognition and everything goes i guess right yeah, you know how to you're able to weather that the the new kid on the block that doesn't have their name out there very good and is, is just come out and is just trying to compete. And now they've got to worry with, you know, all the normal stuff of they've got a new business to now, Holy crap, the market's acting weird on me, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I can get how it would freak those people out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, let's see Garrett out there uh, dropping down a uh, super chat. Thank you, Garrett. Next time put a uh, question or something with that, please. Uh, we've got Ron Wayne out there. He says, and I bet all Clover's boxes are green. Um, they are either, I've got a few red, but I don't have many. Most of the non-green ones I have, I did not buy. Well, I either got them in a lot or somebody bought them for me or, you know, they come yep. with a big, big bunch of stuff I bought. Usually if I buy them myself, they're going to be green or green and black. Uh, what are the two? Uh, what else do we got out there? Let's see. We've got... Uh, G Webb's being funny, but he says, uh, I heard on the internet, if you store nine millimeter upside down, the primers will fall out. So, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely, uh, use uh, primer glue. You got right. Right. Uh, and I think, I think, I, I think I heard that on the internet too. I think Abraham Lincoln put that on the internet. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, um, uh, now Ron Wayne's got a got a serious one here. He says, uh, "What is the best selling uh, product that you guys have? What what would you, the cases obviously, but is there a specific case? Well, when you're or talking, box, I should say. I said case box, I should say. Yeah, when you're talking, um, you know, it'd, it'd be ammo boxes. The um, the size that's most popular out there these days, and, and that depends on what the hot caliber is right now." It's yeah, a good yeah, point. It yeah. moves around. Yeah. It, it yeah. moves around. And it's it's going to be an ammo box and it's going to be whatever the hot so you know what the hot caliber is, two, two, three, and nine millimeters. So I mean that's that's where it's at right now. For reloading, six five Creedmoor is really popular now on yeah. the on the reloading side too. So uh um, got an extra box for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Uh so yeah, we're right up against the uh the top of the hour here. And so have we, 
have we missed anything? We've talked about a lot of stuff. We've had a lot of fun. We've answered some questions, but is there anything as far as the company, the products, anything that we need to, uh, to talk about before we get out of here, guys? No, other than the fact that we're always open to what the customers have to say to us and what they want. Uh, we're always open to that. And we, we like it when they, when they call us up and we don't necessarily buy ideas, but if they want us to get into a certain category or maybe, um, you know, we, it would be nice if we made a change because the, the firearms industry is changing right now, as you, as you know, I mean, when I was, a, when I first got into this business, all rifles were bolt action. Well, they had, they had, uh, now, now everything's modern sporting rifle or is what we're supposed to be calling them. And, um, and that particular customer has different needs than sometimes we're not aware of because I don't shoot a lot of modern sporting rifles. Right. But, uh, uh, I'm with you. Get a hold of us if you need anything. We we uh, we're we're not uh, a company that that you you're going to get passed down the line to some uh, uh, tech person or well a lot of the tech persons just done. I'm I am the VP of marketing and I'm your tech guy a lot of times. But then we also have a gal that works with us too in that. But we, we, we're actually a small, we're not as big a company as you may think we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was amazed by, you know, yeah. uh, and, and back and forth with uh, Nathan. I'm like, wow, I, you guys seem like a giant, you know, as far, and that's a good, that's a good place to be. It really is. When you have that brand recognition and your products are so popular and you've been around so long, but yet you still got that small family owned, you know, hometown feel. I really love companies like that. Yeah. 55 years. We're proud of it. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, Chris with the 740 dropping down a uh, super chat out there. He does say, thanks by the way, Chris, he says, got to head back to work. I'll catch the replay uh, in the office later. So uh, yeah, please do. Uh, and Mr. Watt, he says, uh, beer's getting long. Says I have several MTM cases that I purchased over the years and I'm thoroughly happy with all of them. I look forward to newer products in the future. So uh, a lot you. of fans, I, you guys, I'm sure are not surprised. You've got a lot of fan, a lot of fanboys out there <laughs> at them. this point, at this point, you probably get, you probably used to it. Um, we, we love meeting them at the NRA show and other places, yeah. where, you know, that we, it, it, we love it when they come up and it's, you know, we even like it when they come up and criticize though. So that's, you know, it's yeah, you learn constructive. From there's a place for constructive criticism, yes. you know, but you know, I've always been, if you're going to criticize, offer a solution. Right. Like yeah. if, if I come up and I say, I really don't like this about your product. At I least I should that. say, I wished it was this way. Right. Yeah. Give, give, you know, just, I hate it. That does nobody any good for sure. Uh, you guys were talking about shows. Uh, are you going to shot show? Are you going to be a shot show in January? We've been to every one of them. I, I, every, <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one in the family that has been to every single one that ever was. Oh, I, wow. I okay. That. Oh, you had a child one time and didn't make it to No, work. no, 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 no. I did. I, I, <laughs> I had that child. Uh, God, it was a week later, but I, I had a child. But no, um, uh, I was at St. Louis when they had the very first one. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's, no, that's the pain in the can to go to. It's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, from, from, from your perspective, yes, I agree. It costs a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's it's hard work. It's been a lot of time on the floor and having to talk with people and everything else. Um, but you know, it's it's one of those things where you know I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to get your opinion on this real quick. But from an industry standpoint, is that you know you're we talking about your dad earlier and how in the early days he tried to go to the NRA meeting uh, and then he figured out oh I need to go to some of these other things. How vital is going to SHOT Show to the overall health of the business of the company? It, or is it more just, or is it more just like you were talking about being able to visit with the other people in the community, in the industry? I've got my opinion on that. Sure. I think I, it, it is becoming very, it's, it's very important from an international basis for us because all our international customers show up. Right. I'm seeing a change in the industry because a lot of our heavy hitters that are that are out there and i'm and you you may know the big gun shop in your town and the gun our big gun shop in this town all over a lot of them aren't showing up or if they're they they used to they used to probably uh send uh two buyers or maybe right. three now they're sending one and then uh, the uh 
there's less people showing up at the show. And when you say, well, you could have saw us at the SHOT Show, just email it to me. You know, email me your sell sheet. Email me your prices. They, they don't want to travel as much. So what we're right. getting at the SHOT Show, I, I see the, the, the levels coming down on the amount of people that are coming through it. Right. Which is, it's a, you know, when you're spending that kind of much, that much money, you're sitting there trying to say, how am I going to control trade show costs now? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That does, that does make a big difference. Um, yeah. It was one thing about the, this year, about 22 is, you know, the, the traffic obviously with, you know, coming out of the whole pandemic thing and everything else, you had people that were, you know, I don't want to go because I don't want to have to wear a mask. I don't want to go because I'm afraid they're going to require vaccination or they're going to do this or they're going to do that. Um, and so attendance, you know, ended up being low. Um, but, you know, just from your perspective, this, this last year, what a lot of companies have said about January 22 at SHOT Show is that attendance overall was down. But it seemed like the quality of the people there, because it, it weeded out some of the people, right? The some of the lackadaisy type people. Um, I think that's what they're doing. Don't you think that? I mean, yeah, just the, the, the quality. quality was there. Yeah. Without a yeah. And, nice. and, but I, I think also a lot of people are kind of getting tired of going to Las Vegas. But that's my opinion. There's other people <laughs> right. sit there and say, "Oh no, they can only have it in Las Vegas." I liked so, it when it moved around, but okay. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I did. I haven't been going, but the last, I don't know, five or six years or something like that. So I wasn't around when it moved around. Um, mm -hmm. But I got to say, you know, NRA moves around. There's, uh, you know, other shows that move around. And, and I do like making those uh, that move around. Of course, I get it when you're putting on such a big show in the NSSF. I kind of get it from their standpoint that probably having contractual obligations to locations and all this other stuff. I think is, they've got it reserved for the next 10 years at least. Yeah, it's it's a little easier to facilitate. I see it on, on their side. But, you know, Vegas is one of the things that's basically on the western part of the country. So, you know, people that are very far east, that may turn them off. And But it would be vice versa if it traveled and it was, let's say, in Orlando, right? I mean, how many people from the west coast would that turn off to try well, to travel? This so, year, the prices of airline tickets to Vegas was horrible. I yeah. mean, you know, you're just like, that was the lodging was right up. There. Yeah. Lodging so. was up. I mean, everything this year is up. The price of my martini in Vegas went up. <laughs> well, you should have, you should have buyers buying your martinis. You shouldn't have to pay for a martini. Uh, you should have, you should have companies courting you for the, for yeah. the martinis there. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, yeah. So I guess we've, we've covered everything. We're definitely have, burned through that hour gentlemen thanks again for for joining us here on the podcast i i do appreciate it uh you're welcome back if you release new products if if anything goes on have, have nathan to reach out to me you guys reach out to me we'll get you back or we'll do something and and definitely talk about those but i absolutely enjoyed the conversation it was one this was a lot of fun yeah thanks chris we appreciate you having yeah. us on you bet and we'll uh, see you, let's man. let's uh Let's uh, get that out of the way and say thanks to everybody that have went. If you went an hour and seven minutes in, in replay in the audio world, I don't know. I don't know if I can help you with that, but do appreciate you uh, sticking around. Uh, everybody that was out there live, thank you very much. Love the engagement. It was wonderful. It was fun today. Uh, don't forget clovertech.com slash shot 2023. Pick up your limited edition sticker. Get an entry into that $1,600 press prize package i fumbled through that but you get the point um and there is a mtm rest in that prize package along with the handgun the ammo the holster the belt and uh, the trauma kit and everything else go check it out clovertech.com slash shot 2023 there'll be a link below there'll also be a link below for mtm case guard too. check out that sizing uh thing that they were talking about so you can actually tell because sometimes amazon and some of these other places may not have the sizes correct uh thanks to the patreon patrons the youtube channel members go check out farm radio network and all the cool podcasts on there and of course big thanks uh to trailblazer farms for powering the podcast here until next time don't forget to chain fire freedom we appreciate the patreon patrons and youtube channel members who keep these podcasts going if you're looking for cool stickers patches and other gear be sure to check out clovertack.com 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. <laughs>